In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So just a quick overview of where we are so far. Um, we've, been, been, we've been discussing, um, you know, as we've been discussing, we've identified four attributes of the bridegroom, who we've said is Christ and the bride, who we said is our soul or the church as a whole. The bride identifies the four attributes of Christ, which one, again, is Savior, second one is a shepherd, third one as a king, and fourth one as a beloved. In the first session, we, we spoke about Christ as a savior because he obviously came and redeemed us. And last week, we spoke about Christ as a shepherd. And we also covered the third attribute of Christ, which is him as king. So really quickly, I'll just give a recap of what we spoke about last week, just as a refresher for us. We spoke about finding, finding God in the midst of our hardships and tribulations. Uh, and the place where we can find him is in the church and the importance of and as well as the importance of the church, the role that, that the church plays in our hearts, uh, in our lives as well. We also spoke about uh, asking God to hear his voice and that for us to find Christ, we have to find him um, in our hearts. We also find him out in walking in the footsteps of those who came before us, like the apostles, the saints, the church fathers, and so on. And we also uh, spoke about finding him through serving others. We also mentioned that as a result of finding Christ, our appearance changes because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit's action in us, we're able to reflect the life of Christ in us. Uh, we also spoke about the spikenard, or in other words, our offering to Christ as a response to all that he's done for us. We also said that the offering we make to God has to be through Christ and that in the liturgy, we come and offer God the totality of everything in our life and everything around us through Christ. We also spoke about asking Christ to come and dwell in our hearts. And then our hearts, as a response, our hearts become this new tomb in which Christ dwells in and resurrects it to a new life with his presence. So now, and now that we have this new life, we also have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. So we spoke about the ways we can acquire the Holy Spirit. And finally, we spoke about the unity we have in Christ. And because of that unity, our soul becomes beautiful and fruitful. So I know we covered a lot last week, and to be honest, each one of these topics uh, could be its own meeting or its own session, but hopefully we all took the time to um, meditate on what we've covered last week and its application in our spiritual walk so that we, so what we spoke about last week kind of stays top of mind and, and something that we could think about and, uh, and strive for. So before I move on to today's session or uh, today's discussion, does anybody have any questions uh, left over from last week or anything like that? All right, perfect. So if there's no, are no questions, then I'll move on. Um, what can you guys see on my screen, just out of curiosity? You guys could just see the beloved, right? Yes. All right, yeah. All right awesome. So now that we've come to the last personality of the bridegroom, so after our soul proclaims her love for, for Christ, because he saved her, uh, we then meet him as a shepherd. And then we get acquainted with him as our king, kind of desiring to give him and offering him everything that we have. Finally, we're actually going to go to meet him as our beloved. So if you guys turn to chapter in your Bibles, or we could follow along on the screen, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'll give you guys a second here to pull it up. Uh, if not, then I'll just I'll go ahead and start reading from the screen. says, the Shulamite woman, who is the bride in this case, says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. 
the beloved responds and says, as a lily among brambles or thorns, so is my love among maidens. The bride then answers and says, as an apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among young men. With a great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. She continues that conversation, but she directs um, her her her. Uh, her words to the daughters of Jerusalem. She says, he brought me into the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples for I am sick with love. Oh, that his left hand were under my head and his right hand embrace me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the hens of the fields that you stir not up nor awaken love until it pleases. So there's a little bit to unpack here. Uh, but the part that I want to focus on this one is kind of the elevation of man that we'll see through the bride saying, I am the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valleys. And then the bridegroom response to says, as a lily among bush or thorns, so is my love among maidens. The bride here speaks and says, I am the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valleys. Why Sharon and why Lily, right? So Sharon uh, was, a, was a valley in Judea. It was a very fertile ground because it had a lot of water, but it was, it was very narrow. So there was not a whole lot of active cultivation there, right? It was just the beauty that the land had was natural uh, without really anyone doing anything to it. This resembles exactly what Christ did for us in that he came to us, not because of our righteousness or anything that we've, we've done, but purely out of love and grace. So the beauty that's within every single one of us is a natural beauty, not because not only because we were made in his image and likeness, but also because he came and saved us to put to death our old self. And it was all grace. We didn't deserve it. We have this natural inherent beauty about us uh, through Christ. You can see in Romans, St. Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's why we could say that I am the Rose of Sharon, right? I am this, um, I, I have this natural beauty about me because even though, I was still in sin. Christ came and died for me. Now we come to the lily portion, right? So St. Gregory of Nyssa describes the lily as a straight flower rising to the heights whose bud is far from the ground. So if you think of a lily as a long stem and the bud of the, of the lily is way up off the ground, right? So, you know, the lily in this case is actually, is Christ. So, you know, Christ came to our loneliness. He came to the earth to lift us up so that we may have this heavenly, heavenly glory. So the lily, like I said, represents Christ. And again, we could call ourselves you know, a lily, or in this case, Christ calls us lilies because we are everything that he is by grace. So he came to elevate us off the ground or the earth to place us in the paradise of joy. So like I said, if you picture a lily, it's just really high up off the ground. So likewise, you know, God or Christ elevates us above the earth, above the ground, so that we can ascend to him. Um, you know, like as St. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. So it's not a matter of, you know, this, the, the life that we live now. It's not, it's, it's a, obviously, as we know, it's a temporary life. So that's why we could say that we are a lily, right? Because Christ lifts up off the ground, because he is the lily that came and resurrected us with him. So, now the you know the beloved responds to her and says she is like a lily among thorns. In this case, Saint Gregory of Nyssa, what he says here is that the soul 
is like a lily ascending to the Messiah, who's Christ, her true vine dresser. She rises, the thorns here represent the cares of the life, the thorns of sin that choke the soul. It's very similar to the parable that Christ spoke and says, you know, as when, you know, when the farmer goes and throws out the seed, some of the seed falls on the stony or the thorns um, where, you know, the cares of this life go, go up and choke it. So he's saying that you are a lily, but you're still, you know, among thorns. So essentially, if we want to be adorned and become this lily, there is suffering, whether internal, external, that we're going to have to deal with. There is this sin, there's this evil, there's this pandemics all around us, right, that we'll have to deal with. But through it, we become this lily that's elevated above all that is earthly. Um, in Hebrews, it says, you know, for it was fitting for him whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So if we're trying to gain salvation, if we're trying to gain um, entrance into heaven, if we're trying to elevate ourselves to being heavenly beings, that perfection comes through suffering. After all, there is no resurrection without a cross. So you could see here in this, in, in this very poetic way, you can really see Christ's love shining through these words uh, and the love that he pours on us, even though we don't deserve it, right? We, through him, we're able to say, I am, the, I am a Sharon. I'm the Rose of Sharon. I'm the Lily of the Valleys. And he responds saying that we are a Lily too, right? But within this Lily, there's also suffering that you're going to have to go through. But that through that suffering, our faith and our salvation is perfected. After, you know, after all, we love because he loved us first. And you can really see that attribute of the bridegroom of Christ shining through this. Um, so again, that, I know that's a, I, I know a little bit, I went over a little bit quick, but I hope that it kind of sends the message or, um, you know, uh, deconstructs the meaning behind uh, these words. So before I move on to the next one, are there any questions with what I just covered? I have a question. Sure. Okay. So I'm a little confused. Forgive me. No, no, but you're saying, you're saying... We're the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley, or Jesus is the Rose of Sharon and Lily of the Valley? So it, it, we, are the, we are the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valleys, but we are able to call ourselves that because it's, you know, Christ gives us the inherent beauty that Christ, you know, Christ is the actual Lily, but we are able to call ourselves Lily, right, or Lilies, because we are everything that he is by grace. We're, because he came to elevate us, we're able to say that we are likewise a Lily. Does that clarify in the Rose of Sharon as well? In the Rose of Sharon as well. That's right. Yep. Because okay. remember, if Sharon was this, you know, beautiful valley that was inherently beautiful. Nothing was done to it to make it beautiful. And likewise, mm. we, you know, nothing that we've done to make us beautiful was all Christ that came uh, to beautify us, if, if you will. So we're able to say that we are the Rose of Sharon. Okay. I was just a little confused because... Like I've always heard people say that Jesus is the lily of the valley, that he yep. is the rose of Sharon. So I didn't realize that we can call ourselves that too. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so if you, if you think about it, but we can't call ourselves that on our own, right? We're, we're that because of Christ. Right. Yeah. So, and then like in, in this, and in this um, dialogue, it was the bride that says it. Uh, she says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. And he also, the bridegroom in this case, responds to her and says, as a lily among thorns. So he's confirming um, that she is also a lily. Okay, thank you. Yep. Sorry if I wasn't clear. 
No, I was just confused because I've never been taught this before. So I'm learning along right with you. Okay. <laughs> uh, cool. So moving on, um, the next part that I wanted to cover was now the bride responds and says, as an apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. Oh, that his left hand were under my head and his right hand embraced me. So just as we covered, you know, he, the bridegroom had said right before the verse right before that she is a lily among thorns. So despite the thorns around it or that he calls out, the bride doesn't focus on those thorns, but it, she focuses on the bridegroom. Her conversation doesn't say anything about thorns. She directly talks about or, or you know, kind of praises the bridegroom in a way. So St. Proforius um, says that you won't become saints by hounding after evil. Ignore evil, look towards Christ, and he will save you. So she looks at him and says that you're like an apple tree. And this apple tree, the, the church fathers, you know, say that it's a symbol of the incarnation and dwelt among us, the unfruitful, and that's symbolized by the woods, the empty woods. So he became, you know, for us, the tree of life, which we could pick from instead of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that which we fell by, right? So you see that transformation. So the point that I'm trying to say is that, so now I have to ask myself, where do I look when the thorns of life choke me, right? Do I go, where do I go when I'm struggling with sin, with depression, anxiety, worries, or whatever it is that's weighing heavily on me? Do I look at those thorns that I'm in the midst of, or do I look at the one who became incarnate for me, the one who can sympathize with my weaknesses, the one who can cover me with his shade, as she says here in this verse, um, the one who gives you know, himself for me to taste, be it through his body, his blood, or, or in, and through my union with him. You could see that in, in the Hebrews it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Again, Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So again, where do I go? Do I look at the thorns around me or do I look to him as this bridegroom, as this bride, you know, looks to him and she doesn't worry about the thorns. She doesn't say anything about the thorns. So you know, the bride goes on to say that the bridegroom brought her into the banqueting house. This banqueting house for us symbolizes the church, you know, the house of feasting where we could feast on the Eucharist the house of wisdom uh, where we receive the teachings of the church so when christ gives himself to us through communion and through the teachings of the church we come to understand you know that love is the root of all that christ has done for us you know that's why he brought us to this banqueting hall this for us to be with him and now that we're in this now that we're in this banqueting hall in this house we have to abide by the house rules right um if the house rules are love, we need to abide by those. So we can't, you know, we can't receive love and not reciprocate it to him or to others who are in the same banqueting hall. Uh, the issue, though, and I speak, you know, for me personally, is that I don't know how to properly love God. I don't know how to properly love others. So that I, so now I have to ask him to put in my heart and increase my love for him. Um, the disciples, when they didn't know how to pray, they said, Lord, teach us to pray, right? So I have to ask God to teach me to love him and to love others. I have to wrestle with him, um, just, like, just like Jacob did. 
um, you know, it's just, Lord, I like, you said to love you. You said to love others. You even said to love my enemies. But I'm weak. Now I'm limited to what I can offer because I'm human. I, you know, you, so put in my heart your love. Teach me to love others. Teach me to love my enemies. It's not something, you know, it's not something I can do on my own. But you can do it in me. You can perform it in me. So this and you know this transformation won't take place overnight by any means. So it's not like you're going to pray tonight and tomorrow you're going to wake up and love everybody that's around you. It doesn't work that way. But it's a process, right? You find yourself in in certain situations where you normally would act one way, but you end up acting completely different way. You don't know why. You don't know how. Um, you find yourself dedicating more time to prayer or reading or serving, and you don't know where this desire for God is coming from. That's God working in you to teach you how to, to teach you how to love. He's responding to that prayer. So God responds. We just have to speak. And, to, and for us, you know, that's the only way that we could abide in the same house, in this banqueting hall, is if we love. That, that's, those are the house rules. So if we're in this house, we have to abide by, that, by the house rules. Um, you know, in, in the next verse from there, the, the bride says, she asks to be sustained by him uh, because she is lovesick. So, excuse me. So, as you can see on the screen here, lovesick is being so in love with someone that you really aren't yourself, right? This is the point where God hears our cry to love him more. And he points his chosen arrow, in this case, Christ, as it says in Isaiah, you know, and he points it and pierces our hearts with it, right? He becomes kind of like Cupid in a way. And, you know, he takes Christ and just shoots him in our hearts. Um, So, you know, our hearts become wounded uh, with love for Christ. We would love for God. We become lovesick. You know, one of the church father puts it and says, when she longs and pants for him by day and by night to the extent that she cannot speak about anything but him, listen to anyone but him, think about anything but him, has no other desire but to be with him and has no hope in anything but him. You know, there is no way to get to this stage or level of love for God without God opening and wounding our hearts with love for him. You know, it's not something that we could attain by ourselves, no matter how hard, it, how we try, because we're, we're limited, we're limited, we're weak. Um, it's only by God's grace that we're able to love the same way that Christ loved, this impartial love, this uh, perfect love for him and for others around us. So given what we just said, I'll give you one question to ask yourself and meditate on. Uh, in your quiet time and that is are you wounded by love for God are you lovesick you know for for me personally I know that I have a long ways to get there Um, but that's when I have to remember as we covered earlier in the first session that I'm dark but lovely you know so I don't lose hope you know I'm I'm limited but I'm also beautiful because of what God has done in me and it's and I'm not beyond you know uh, God's love uh, my prayers heard, my prayers answered. I just have to say it. Right? I have to open my heart for him to work in me, for him to put his love um, in me, uh, love for him and love for others. Finally, the 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 bridegroom says the bridegroom. Uh, sorry, finally the bride says to the bridegroom that his left hand was under her head, and he embraces her with his right. So, what is this about? This is one of my favorite parts uh, when I was studying it. This means that God chastises us with his left hand when we go astray from him. Um, but with his right hand, 
he has compassion on us and opens his hands to embrace us in his divine embrace. God disciplines us, you know, at times that we may kind of wake up from our spiritual sleep to get our attention, just as a parent would correct the mistakes of their child. Like when Josiah does something wrong and I don't correct him, that either means that I'm okay with his actions or I don't care about him. So it's the same concept when it comes to God, to how God deals with us sometimes. He disciplines for sure, right? But he doesn't forsake us. Uh, it's to take, you know, it's to take away sin, to take us away from sin, to take us away from harm's way and to elevate us to him. If he doesn't, then that means he is okay with our sin, which I know is not true, or that he doesn't care about us, which is also false, right? So the only logical conclusion is that it's done out of pure love. You know, uh, Proverbs, it says, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Uh, in Psalm 118, it says, the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. So God, God chastises sometimes. It's sometimes it's, it's a very, very hard chastisement. But, you know, we can't say we don't deserve it sometimes, right? Uh, but it's out of love. And that's, a, and that's the important thing to, for us to realize um, is that because we love him so much and we grow to love him so much, whether he chastises us with his left or he has compassion on us with his right, we still feel his love. It's not Our love for him is not predicated on our situation. Our love for him is not uh, predicated on you know, uh, whether we, whether we, you know, everything around us is perfect the way we want it or not. Father Tetris puts it beautifully and says, when one enters the banqueting hall and is pierced with the chosen arrow, one feels his infinite love, whether in his chastisement or his compassion. In both cases, one feels that her head is lying on his left hand and surrounded by his right. Thus one is embraced in his divine bosom and is face to face with him so that she could receive all the kisses of his divine mouth. So love, you know, the, the kind of love that we're after is the love that changes our perception from all that is earthly to everything that's heavenly. We see God in a different light. We see him um, as a true, as a loving, as a caring, compassionate father and nothing less, right? It's not, like I said, it's not based on the situations we're in. So my question to you tonight is, how do we, how do we view God when things don't go our way? We say that God is not fair. We still love him, right? And it's something that, um, you know, I, I personally struggle with, I've struggled with in the past, right? And say like, you know, this something's not going my way. God doesn't love me, right? Or what did I do wrong to deserve? And I, you know, so some of these things, you know, sometimes this, the purpose of this chastisement and for us to repent, right? For us to review ourselves and, and take, make a U-turn, Right. Um, to, to go back to Christ, to go back to God, who could, you know, elevate us off of where we need to be, uh, from where we need to be, and, and lift us up to him. Um, so any questions on, on this? Jack, I have a question about how to practically apply this when we feel the weight of the world or the struggles or our circumstances and that period of chastisement is um is difficult to to break out of you know when we feel down and we know that god is loving us like in our minds we will never say oh god is evil but well we might but typically <laughs> we don't go to that extent so how can we 
practically feel his love or at least keep the idea of his love and that reality alive while we're just overwhelmed and there's a world of you know anxieties and all that weight on our shoulders during those times i don't know you tell me <laughs> i struggle with it it's not it's not easy uh, and i'm not i'm not asking this like in in a sense of uh you know like i'm like i'm looking for a uh, perfect answer i i mean we we can probably approach this in so many ways but um I struggle this whenever I, I know that God is chastising me, but the reality of his love isn't tangible. Yep. So some of the, I mean, I, I know what you're, what you're asking and some of the things that like that I personally do when uh, I'll be, and I'd love to open it up to everybody. And so that we, we could all learn from one another is I like to look at everything else that's around me, right. To count my blessings, if you will. So the 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 easiest way to happiness the easiest way to joy is thanksgiving right um so for me personally it's it that's the approach that i take is that you know maybe something's not going well at work maybe um you know uh, I, i'm having a, a difficult time with a person in my life or i've lost something that's um precious to me or what have you whatever the reason is i look at you know, if I continue to focus on that, as we, we, we said, if I continue to focus on those thorns, that chastise, that chastisement, then I'm just going to always be looking down instead of looking up. So counting my blessings is one way that I, 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 I like to go about something like this. And the second thing is to, you know, kind of as I alluded to, is knowing that, you know, keeping my, keeping my eyes up and knowing that whatever it is, whatever it is that I lost, whatever this, this period of chastisement, it's, uh, it's a period of, um, it's a period for repentance, right? It's a period for, you know, something might be happening in my life that I need to repent from. Maybe um, it's something that, you know, keeping an eye out um, and keeping my eye on God, just kind of, you know, uh, I think one of the Psalms just says, you know, troubles in the night, but joy comes in the morning, right? So that this is kind of a temporary period. It's not something to last, but it's, it's not something that's going to last. And even if it lasts a long time, there is joy that comes out of it. There is glory to come out of it. And I'm not, you know, if, if a lot of the apostles, a lot of the saints, a lot of them saw this chastisement, not necessarily from God, but, you know, from men, who am I to think that I'm any better than them? So again, keeping an eye on Christ and, and, you know, keeping my eye up as well as Thanksgiving, I think to me, feel like practical ways where, um, that, that I personally apply when I feel that chastisement. Uh, I don't know if that, you know, if that answers your question or not, but. Oh, yeah, that definitely, definitely helps. Definitely helps to keep in mind. Thank you. Yeah. And if, if anybody has anything to add, please jump in and add. Uh, like I said, we're all here to learn from one another. So. I actually want to you. Sorry, wrong yeah, two. Okay. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. No. We can, can hear, hear me? you. Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, wait, can you? Yeah. Sorry. I, 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 uh, 
my volume wasn't on. I just wanted to share a quote that I read uh, this past weekend uh, by Father Matthew DePore that is talking exactly about this. He was talking about guidelines. Uh, he, he has um, guidelines for, for um, how to submit to God. And his sixth guide or sixth step said, if you fall under discipline, know for sure that this is a great profit. For God chastises the soul that has forgotten its weakness and has been puffed up by its talents and success. So when I read that, I was like, I looked at chast I looked at God's chastisement as almost like a blessing because he's trying to tell us, hey, you're, you know, you think that everything that you're doing is is from you, like all your blessings and your gifts is from you. So you're like kind of like almost waking us up with this, you know, tribulation or trial just so that we can come back to the realization that it is from him, that all good things come from him and that he just wants us to remember that so that we don't, you know, uh, you know, think that it, it comes from us. So I just wanted to share that. No, that, thanks for sharing that. Uh, and that's a, a beautiful way to put it too, right? It's, it's that, you know, God disciplines us for our benefit, for our good. It's not, it's not because he dislikes us. It's not because, you know, he woke up the, that morning and just on the wrong side of the bed, right? He chastises out of his love, out of, uh, for our own benefit and for our own salvation. So. I, I think it would be, um, it's also, so some things I, I look at it as, it's not chastisement. It's just, it's just didn't go the way I wanted to and with my feeble mind. And, it's possible that, you know, we, we might consider it discipline, but it's actually not discipline. He's actually saving us through his grace from something that we didn't, um, we, we, we didn't foresee or, or something that we thought was best for us, but clearly was not best for us. And we had, you know, no way of knowing what the outcome would be. So, I mean, yes, God chastises us, but I don't think maybe as often as, as we, as he really does, we, we just perceive it more often because we are always stuck in our will. And I, I find that people are always upset when our will or my, my personal will or someone else's will does not line up with God's will. But yet God's will might be what's saving them from something. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point, Joe. Um, something to that. I read something similar the other day and it said like, just as Christ asked us to work in secret, he some you know he works in secret too. So just because we don't see it or we don't know about it, doesn't mean that he's not working. So yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Cool. Thank you guys for your thoughts. Um, again, please, as we're going through this, jump in with any thoughts that you have. Cool. So that concludes the four attributes of the bridegroom, right? We've covered uh, him as savior, as king, as shepherd, and as a beloved. Um, moving on to, you know, this next section, um, we're, we're going to go deeper in our walk with him and, and see what really what he's calling us to do in this, in this next section here. So if you could turn your Bibles to chapter, we're still in chapter two. So just the next seven verses, verses eight through 15. And it says, this is the bride talking. And she says, the voice of my beloved 
Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind the wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in the, are in the blossom. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the cleft of the rock, in the covert of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is calmly. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Are in blossom. All right, so there is a lot to unpack in these seven verses, and we could probably spend you know, one or two weeks on just those seven verses um, if we go into detail. Um, but I just am going to highlight four themes that we're going to walk away with today, God willing. The first is hearing God's voice. The second is the beauty of Christ. The third is the wall of separation. And the fourth is, call, is the call to resurrection. So again, you could read this personally and you can you know, come up with your own meditations and whatnot, but those are just four, you know, and, and there's a lot to dive into, like I said, but those are just four things um, that I want to be able to focus on tonight by God's grace. So the, she says here, uh, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping on the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. So the first thing that Bright says is the voice of my beloved. This is, this is a voice that she's familiar with to be able to decipher it from far away because she says he's coming from the mountains, right? So to dis- be able to decipher it from all other voices she knows. So if you're, you know, if you're in a crowded place and your spouse or someone that you're really close to, someone that you really know their voice, um, you're able to decipher the voice amidst every other voice in the room. Um, a lot of times I'm able to recognize the voice of people that I'm really close to, but I don't always recognize God's voice, maybe because I'm busy or my heart is not set on him, or I don't allow myself to have some quiet time with God, or I don't read my Bible, or I don't pray, or life is just you know, full of so many other noises that it's really hard to focus on God. And if I'm watching TV and, and Josiah is making a lot of noise, you know, I have to tell him to quiet down for me to focus on what I'm trying to listen to, right? But if, so I have to ask myself if I do that with God. Do I shut down all the other noises in my life to listen to his voice? Um, you know, God doesn't yell. God whispers. And for me to listen to that gentle whisper, I have to quiet down all the noises in my life, my heart, my mind, you know, just to focus on him. You know, obviously, even when we're quiet down, the devil takes an opportunity to try to talk to us. But if, we're in, if we intimately know God, by his grace, we'll have the discernment to recognize his voice. You know, just as Christ said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They don't follow the voice of a stranger. So I got to train my ears to hear, you know, the ears of my heart to hear God's voice, to recognize his voice. Um, just as the bridegroom, as the bride says, right, behold the voice of my beloved. So do I recognize God's voice when he speaks? Do I say, behold the voice of my beloved? Right, just, and if not, why not? If there are too many noises, what do I need to eliminate to hear that gentle, that gentle uh, whisper? 
Um, again, as Christ says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Right? So we need to train the ears of our hearts to recognize God's voice. From there, we see the bride is comparing the bridegroom to a gazelle, right? She said, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Um, in Hebrew, uh, the word gazelle means beauty. So, you know, Christ, the beautiful, he proposed to mankind and poured his beauty on us because we defiled our nature by, by sinning. Um, if you open up your Bibles to Ezekiel 16, verses 6 through 14, we're just going to quickly read through that. Uh, and it's, we'll see how beautiful God is through his actions of beautifying us. And then you see why she calls him a Giselle. Um, so again, it's Ezekiel 16, uh, verses 6 through 14. And I passed, this is God speaking to Ezekiel. Uh, and when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. And I passed by you again and looked upon you. Indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with when I clothed you in an embroidment cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among all the nations because of your beauty, for it was, per per it was perfect through my splendor, which I, which I bestowed on you, says the Lord God. How beautiful is that? You know, if anyone ever asks what God has done for mankind, just read them this part. You know, he found us naked and clothed us. He sanctified us. He washed us. He anointed us. He put his life in us. He adorned us with works of the Holy Spirit. He made us beautiful in every way out of his love for us. You know, nothing, you know, it, it, nothing in the passage says, because you did this, I, gave, I did that. If anything, he found us in our sin, but he still did that for us, right? He doesn't just... He doesn't just call us beautiful, too, if you notice. He calls us extremely, exceedingly beautiful. Now, how beautiful is that? How beautiful are we because of what he's done? And how beautiful is he for doing that with us? Now, this is why she calls him a Giselle, because he is beautiful, right? He's beautiful in all his ways with us. Um, I love this passage of Ezekiel. Um, and honestly, I hadn't, hadn't come across it before preparing for this for this meeting, but the like when I read it, I just immediately fell in love with it. Um, yeah, I it's it's extremely extremely beautiful, and 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 you know he's deserving of every of every praise that we give him because of of his love for us, and you know he's extremely extremely beautiful and gentle with the way he deals with us. Um, finally, the part I want to mention is that she says 
the bridegroom stands behind our wall. This wall has two interpretations. Um, the first one is that wall of separation that, that we had between us and God that Christ came and abolished through his death. Uh, this wall of separation that existed uh, between us and God, which we ourselves built because of our sin, Christ came, tore it down through the cross so that we could be reconciled to him, uh, reconciled to the Father. That's the wall that he stands behind. You know, that veil that separated us from the holy of holies, if you will, was essentially ripped apart um, uh, so that we can regain access to God. So that's kind of, that's the first interpretation. As if in Ephesians says, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So this is how God stood behind our wall or Christ stood behind our wall. The second interpretation is that wall refers to our human nature because Christ descended to us in our nature that we would not fear him, but accept him, love him, unite with him. Uh, if he just, you know, if he just appeared and didn't take our flesh, there was no way for us to identify with him. Um, he wouldn't really have appealed to our senses, as St. Athanasius puts it. You know, as St. Athanasius says, when then the minds of men had fallen finally to the level of sensible things, the word, who is Christ, submitted to appear in the body in order that he, as man, might center their senses on himself and convince them through his human acts that he himself is not man only, but also God, the word and the wisdom of the true God, right? So we're tangible beings and God out of his love and humility and knowing our weaknesses chose to be tangible for us so that we could identify with him and he could identify with us, that we could touch him, that we could see him, that we could taste him. Um, our human nature is that, you know, is what Christ stood behind to elevate us and to make us spiritual beings and restore us to himself. Um, this is a whole another topic, um, but, and we won't get into it today, but if you want to know more on the incarnation by Athanasius, it's probably the best resource to dive more into this topic, um, uh, you know, in, in terms of the incarnation of Christ. So before I move on, I know there's a lot here, but any questions or any thoughts, comments, um, speak now. Jack, so when you referenced that passage from Ezekiel, especially towards the end, my mind immediately went to the parable of the prodigal son. Whenever the, the son comes back home and the father says, you know, get the best robe and dress him with the best robe and the ring and the sandals. And like he, he beautifies him in the same sense as we're alluding to here. And like this was the primary objective of Christ's mission is not only to accomplish that work through his incarnation and the salvation that he completed on the cross and his resurrection, but to actually reveal that through his own preaching, the words that he said, is to say, like, this is who the Father is. Like, the, the Father's primary concern is to make us beautiful. And it's it's a beautiful concept to, to see how like this whole theme like you've been telling us like i'm dark but beautiful like i don't deserve this but by his grace i'm covered and i'm clothed and i'm just filled by his grace so i love it yeah no thanks for sharing that i, I actually my mind didn't go there so <laughs> thanks for sharing for, thanks for pointing that out but yeah to your point it's, it's exactly the same as the prodigal son
Any other thoughts, questions? If not, I'll move on to the next one. All right. So now this is going to be the call to resurrection. This is probably going to be the last part we cover today um, with the little time that we have left. But um, here, we're, we're gonna, the part that we're going to cover um, where the bride says, my beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my fair one, come away for lo, the winter's past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs and the vines are in blossom. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the covert of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, your face is calmly. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So here we see the bridegroom speaking to the bride and, and telling her to rise up. He says that to her not once, but twice. Um, and each one has a different meaning. So we'll get into the context of each one of these resurrection calls, if you will. The, the first resurrection refers to the resurrection of the human soul from sin and to live according to the spirit. You know, Christ wants to unite with us. He wants us to bear fruit, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to leave our sins and run to him. Just as the bridegroom is telling the bride you know, to rise up and come away because winter, you know, winter's past, the rain is over. Christ is also telling us to rise up spiritually and go with him because, you know, through him, our spiritual winter or the word, in other words, the gloominess of our spiritual life, our former selves have been done, away, have been done away with. So it's time to move past that and go with him. Uh, just as St. Paul says in Ephesians, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So that's, you know, that's the resurrection that Christ is calling us to. Christ said, you know, no one looking back is fit for the kingdom of God, right? So we can't look back in our former selves. We can't, you know, be content with where we are. We must rise up. Um, and above that, you know, go away with him where he is. And that includes the cross. Um, this is why the bridegroom continues to say, the time of singing has come, um, Father Tedros says that this verse means that the time of pruning has come, referring to the crucifixion, where the sinful deeds and the carnal lusts of the old man are removed until they carry more spiritual heavenly fruit. He takes her through suffering to the cross so that she may bear the fruits of the resurrection. He separates her from the coldness of the spirit so that she may enter the spring of the new life resurrected in Christ Jesus. So Christ wants to renew us, transform us, so he's calling us and telling us now is the time to put away the old self and be transformed by the renewing of our minds, of our hearts, of our lives. Uh, now is the time to hear his voice. And, you know, it says the voice of the turtle dove, that's Christ, and to follow him. Like we said, we don't need to be perfect to follow Christ because we'll never get there without him to begin with. You know, now is the time to wake up um, from our spiritual laziness and, and leave our former conduct behind. For me personally, it's a it's a wake up call in many ways because there are so many times where you now I want to pray or read the Bible or sort of do this or do that, but then I get lazy, right? Um, and I put it off to tomorrow, and then tomorrow rolls around, and be like, oh, I'll just put it off to the next day. You know, I'll eventually get to it. But in reality, for me, the time is here and now, right? Just as Christ said, just as the bridegroom says, "Arise, my love, my fair one, come away." You know, leaving my comfort in this case 
it's that crucifixion that Christ that Christ is calling me to, right? Leaving uh, so it's so that I could resurrect with Him as a new person. Um, you know the you know the comfort of getting off my bed or getting off my couch to stand up to pray, or the comfort of you know leaving my home to go serve, what have you. You know this. I know it's not. It doesn't sound like it's crucifixion, but it's still, in a sense, you are crucifying the will. You're crucifying the flesh. You're crucifying the pride that prevents you from putting God first. Um, so Christ tonight is calling every single one of us to rise up because now is the right time. It's not tomorrow, right? Um, Romans says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and have children than heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If we indeed suffer with him, that we may be glorified together, right? So if we suffer and put our, you know, put our will, put our will, our pride, all that on the cross, right? That's how, this is how we, you know, practically take action today to rise up from, um, you know, from that whatever laziness, whatever feeling that we may have that's holding us back um, to going with Christ. And as a result of following him, we are represented here in this verse by the fig trees and the vines, uh, as it says in the verse, right? We'll bear fruit and our life will be a sweet smelling offering to God. It's important to note that like, it's not a matter of just rising up, but it's rising up and being transformed, right? Uh, and, bring, and bearing fruit as a, as a result of that. We could rise up all we want, but if we actually don't move and be transformed, we're just going to falling back down. We haven't moved, right? If, if you go back to that verse, verse it, says, it says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, right? So the verse doesn't stop at, you know, putting off the old man, but it's, it continues on that there's this continual perfection, um, that we are uh, that we are striving for. So, n- does that make sense so far? Cool. Um, now we come to the second call to rise up. Um, he says it towards the end. Arise, my love, my favorite one, come away a second time. Saint Gregory of Nyssa says that that he calls the bride to rise up again because it's appropriate for her to go from glory to glory. Uh, Saint Corinth- in Second Corinthians it says. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. So what does glory to glory mean? Uh, according to St. Gregory of Nyssa, it says, it's becoming greater through daily increase, ever, ever perfecting oneself and never arriving too quickly at the limit of perfection. This is truly perfection. Never stop growing towards what is better and never placing any limit on perfection. You know, Christ wants us to gain that perfection. Just as he said, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. So it's meaning to be complete, uh, to be whole. It doesn't mean that we're not going to fall, but it's this continual process of being perfected, as St. Gregory puts it. And that's why he calls us a second time uh, to glory, because, you know, it's, it's not just, it's not enough to rise up the first time, like we've mentioned, but it's, it's a continual process of perfection. Uh, quickly, the last couple of verses here. You know, he, he's, he then goes on to say, in the clefts of the rock, and the rock in this case is Christ. So God reveals himself to us and brings us to himself through Christ, because no one knows the Father except the Son. Um, you know, he then asks um, to hear the voice of the bride and to see her face. That's not because he doesn't know what the bride looks like or what she sounds like or anything like that. But he's asking for the intimacy before him. Um, try, today, you know, Christ is asking us. Uh, is asking our soul, asking us as a church to be intimate with him, to see our face, to hear our voice, 
He, you know, he wants us, but he won't force his way into our hearts or into our church. So that's why he asks, you know, he says, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Christ doesn't force himself upon anybody. Um, obviously, growing intimately with Christ is not without its challenges. Uh, you can see in the verse it says here, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes, the spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So although Christ descended to man and caused him to resurrect, Christ still warns us of the sin that could destroy the union with him. You know, it's not enough, you know, we're, you know, we're rose up, we're good, you know, we're never going to face any sins, we're never going to struggle with anything. No, 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 right? It's, you know, it's actually, you know, the vine- <laughs> it says here in the verse that the foxes come in the vineyards because they are full, they are in blossom. So even at the most, at the height of our spiritual life is when the devil tempts us even more. So, you know, this warning is called for it's called out twice. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes, right? The spoil, the spoil the vineyards. Um, so he still warns us of the sins that could destroy our union with him. Um, you know, what are these little foxes that, you know, that are, that it's referred to in this verse? Father Tedros says, the warning from the Lord Jesus is directed to the believer or to the soul who desires to be united with Christ. These little foxes are the sins that we may consider small such as white lies, improper joking, or anything that may be harmful to our bodies and our spirits. Therefore, we must keep our inner doors closed from any little fox, abstaining from every form of evil. So tonight, I end and ask you this question. What are the little foxes in your hearts that could come in and ruin our vineyard? What are they? What, it's, what, is, what are those little foxes in our hearts that we consider small sins that could destroy the union that we have with Christ? Um, I pray that God guides us, um, you know, that everything that we spoke about today benefits us and um, you know, that we are continually being transformed, continue, continually seeking that perfection in him. Um, and glory be to God forever. Amen. Please ask any questions. I know we're at time and I want to be respectful of your time. But if you have any questions um, or any comments that you want to share, now is the time to do it. Cool. Well, it doesn't sound like there is. Um, next week, we're going to get to talk about one of my favorite verses. Uh, so I'm really excited for that. Uh, and we'll, for that, I'll, I'll keep you guys guessing. <laughs>